Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Here with you today, taking your calls and texts live on the air. We want to welcome those of you who are listening here in Colorado and in southern Wyoming on Grace FM as well as those of you who are listening on the East Coast, on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, as well as those who are listening on Truth FM in Tennessee and into parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. Welcome. We're so glad that you are with us today. We just want to give a quick reminder to those of you who are tuning in on the East Coast and in the area around Tennessee that you are hearing the program on a one-week delay. So just keep that in mind, but we would love for you to call in and then we'll be able to um, take your calls here on the air live here on Grace FM, but you'll also be able to hear yourself a week later if you tune in um, on the radio where you're listening on those stations, Hope FM and Truth FM. But it's such a such a cool thing and a blessing to see how God is growing the listening range of this show, Calvary Live. And we also know that we have a really growing audience online. So we have so many people who are tuning in via the, the mobile app and via the website. You know, oftentimes we'll look at that map even as we're doing the show and just say, wow, it's so cool to see people tuning in. Looks like we even have people right now. Looks like somebody in, uh, you know, all over the U.S. basically, West Coast, East Coast, um, middle of the country here, especially a lot of listeners, of course, here in the mountain states. Um, but then it looks like we've also got some listeners in Uganda, Kampala, Uganda, and Durban, South Africa right now. So welcome to those of you who are tuning in online. Uh, just really a growing audience of people doing that. And we really encourage you to take advantage of that. It's a really cool way for you. Maybe you live within our broadcast range, but you know people who don't, and maybe you want to uh, share this with them. We would love that. There's a great app that anybody can get anywhere in the world, and you can um, you can tune in live to this show and to any of our other programs. So go ahead and get that app. It's Grace FM. Just type that right into the search bar of the App Store for your device, for your phone or your tablet. So just Grace FM. It's available for Apple and Android. And you can get that for free, and you can tune in. Um, I have some family members, actually, uh, who live out of state, and they told me, oh, they're like, oh, yeah, we want to listen in to the show. And I said, yeah, just get the app. So they've been doing that and tuning in uh, regularly to this program. And then as they do that, what happens is that they start listening to some of the other programming here on Grace FM, some of the Bible teaching, some of the music, and then they get fed the word, and just everybody wins. So it's a really cool thing. So yeah, check that out, Grace FM, the app, and you can also just go in your browser, in your browser and just go to gracefm.com, and you can listen there as well. So, however you've tuned in today, we're so glad that you're with us. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible and your um, prayer requests. We would love to pray for you. We'd love to hopefully answer some of your questions. Maybe there's some of you who, um, who 
have been reading your Bible, and as you've been doing that, you've had some questions that you're not sure about, and uh, we would love for you to call in, share those questions with us, and hopefully we can help you find some answers. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, it's 720-336-0897 for the text line. And we would love for you to give us a call. Uh, just a few words about myself as we're waiting for those calls to come in. By the way, here at the beginning of the show is always one of the best times to call in because uh, we're waiting for the calls to roll in as the show's getting started. Um, but let me just give you those numbers again, and then I'll, I'll tell you a few things about myself and what, what I've been up to, what, what our church is up to, as we wait for those calls and texts to roll in. So, again, the number to call is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000, or text us at 720-336-0897. So just a few words about myself. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. And... Uh, we would love to have you come and worship with us, by the way. If you are in Longmont or in any of the surrounding communities, anywhere within driving distance, really, we would love for you to come worship with us here in Longmont at Whitefields Community Church. You can check us out online, get our address, directions, listen to some messages on the website. We would love, love that if you'd connect with us online. The website is whitefieldschurch.com. So that's whitefields with an S, whitefieldschurch.com. So uh, check us out there. And if you are familiar with Longmont and uh, maybe you live in the area or maybe you don't live in the area, but you know somebody who does, we'd love it if you would send them our way. We'd love to meet them and worship with them. Just about every Sunday I have people who come up to me after church and say, hey, um, listen to you online or listen to you on the radio and online. And uh, we've come up here because of that. And I just really enjoy and am blessed to, to meet people face to face who have been listening to this program and who have been blessed and encouraged by it. So we would love it if you would do that. So check us out um, online and in person. So whitefieldschurch.com and our church meets in downtown Longmont. Our address is 700 Longs Peak Avenue. So 700 Longs Peak Avenue, which is in the St. Vrain Memorial Building, the edge of Roosevelt Park, um, which is the city park here in Longmont. We're just to the south of the downtown park and ride here in downtown Longmont. And we are one block west of Main Street. So just one block west of Main Street on Longs Peak Avenue on the northwest corner of Longs Peak and Kaufman. So Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street. We're on the northwest corner in the St. Vrain Memorial Building, 700 Longs Peak Avenue. And we'd love it if you'd worship with us. Our, our um, service time is 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. So we'd love for you to be there with us. We have a great children's ministry from birth all the way up through uh, middle school. We have our high schoolers with us during service. And then we have a youth group that meets during the week for high schoolers. But we've got a place for everybody in your family to come and worship and plug in. And you can also check us out on um, here on Grace FM during the week. We have a show that airs every weekday at 2.30 p.m. and also on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So every weekday, 2.30 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. It's called Life in the Field, which is an allusion to how we live our lives. We're called to live our lives on mission with God in his mission field, which is the world. And we'd love it if you would tune in for that. So every weekday here on Grace FM, 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So if for some reason you're not in church, you're not able to be in church on a Sunday morning, but you're near a radio, you can tune in there and you can take part in our study at uh, Sunday mornings at 10 a.m.
So let's go to our first caller. Looks like we've got Alan in Loveland, Colorado. Hi, Alan. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Pastor. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Right on. Um, yeah, kind of. Uh, uh, I just want to share maybe and then ask. Actually, I wanted to ask your opinion on uh, the Bible says unequally yoked, and I wanted to ask your opinion on uh, how that what that looks like in business partnerships with unbelievers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it says this. Here's the verses. Um, well, here's the verse. It's Second Corinthians chapter six. And it says in verse 14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, what accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Um, I think we want to look at a lot of the context for this, specifically the context in First and Second Corinthians, both of them, is one in which they were. There was a situation in their church in which they were dealing with um, sexual immorality. Specifically, there was one case in particular where the Corinthians were proud of themselves for how tolerant they were, in the sense of there was somebody in their church who was having a sexual relationship with his uh, stepmother, and he was the church. They were all proud of themselves for how, you know tolerant they were of this and Paul's saying hey you you know this is gone this is actually sin and yes we should love this person but loving this person in this case is going to take the the shape of us actually needing to call them on this and call them to repentance and get them to stop this relationship and so then what happened is that it seems that the pendulum swung as it so often does right so with the Corinthians at first they were almost overly, you know, avoiding addressing this or calling this person out. And they actually felt good about themselves that they they were not calling this person out. And it looks like they went to the other extreme where, okay, they they put this person out of the church. They enacted some church discipline, confronted this person. But then that person had actually repented and stopped that relationship. And now Paul's saying, hey, this person repented. They This is the point of of discipline in the church is to bring the person back in and restore them. So I just say that to say this, the context of this is a situation that Paul's been addressing where there's sexual immorality in the church. And so I believe that the primary uh, application of not being unequally yoked is in marriage relationships or even romantic relationships. Now, you could ask the question, does it go into business relationships, which is your question. So. I think that this is kind of a gray area. I think you can go either way on this. Um, I think that there's a degree to which, you know, I think that we can do business with people who are not believers. I think that we could probably make a pretty good case for that biblically. That we want to be in the world, but not of the world. I'm currently studying First Peter, and in First Peter chapter 2, he says this. He, he talks about keeping your conduct among the amongst the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And I think that there's something to be said there um, for the fact that Paul's saying, hey, I want you to be, or sorry, Peter, he's saying, I want you to be in the world. I want people to see your actions up close. And so when it gets to the nuts and bolts of like, okay, who should I enter into a business relationship with? I think this is one of those gray areas where you need to ask some really important questions. Um, you know, uh, what is the level of commitment between me and this person? Right, because 
you could put it this way, any business relationship is going to fall on a spectrum. Right? We enter into business relationships all the time. The question is, how far does that business relationship go? And at what point do you say, okay, I can't be in business with this person because we don't share the same values. So I, I guess I'm not really giving you a yes or a no as much as I'm saying I think this is an area where you need to pray about this, and I do think it's a gray area where it can kind of go both ways. Um, Great. Yeah, um, thank you for the insight. Appreciate it. Yeah, and I, I would just say this, that that picture of being yoked together is a really beautiful picture in the Bible. It's a picture of oxen, you know, and what they would do is they, even to this day, you know, they put a wooden device over two oxen, and if, you know, let's say you had an ox and you had another animal of a different kind, to put that yoke on them, it wouldn't fit right because it's not made for an ox and a donkey, right? And so the picture we're getting here of the, is this. You know, you can put it together with what Paul said in Second Corinthians chapter 5, just one chapter before that, where he says that in Christ we become a new creation. We become new creatures. And we're as different as, you know, a... Uh, a butterfly is from a caterpillar. And you could put it this way. If you have an ox and a donkey both pulling something, but they've got, they're wearing this yoke together, first of all, they pull differently. They, they are, they're going to both end up in pain, and they're not going to pull together well. And I think the picture of what it's saying is that when we're yoked together with somebody in some intimate relationship, which I understand the business relationship can also be very intimate, you want to make sure you're, you're with somebody who is pulling in the same direction as you and, and they're able to pull together with you. You know, you think about what Jesus said too, and one final thought, which is that he talked about, you know, put my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Jesus is inviting us into is he's saying, hey, join with me in my work. We'll pull together. We'll plow together. And, you know, of course, he's the one who's doing the work, and we're just getting to partner with him and, and come along for the ride almost. But I hope that mm -hmm. kind of clarifies it. Yeah, thank you. I, yeah, once again, I appreciate the insight. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me, let me pray for you, and uh, then I'll let you go. Holy Father, pray for Alan. I pray you give him a lot of wisdom in this area. When it comes to business, Lord, how should he manage that? Uh, what is the degree to which he can be um, in a relationship, business relationship with somebody who's not a believer? I pray you'd help him to be a good witness for you, that people would see his actions and be drawn to you. Um, and I pray you give him wisdom where he wouldn't get into a relationship where he ever feels that he's being compromised or being pulled in a different direction than the one you want him to go in. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Pastor. God bless you, Alan. Bye-bye. God bless you. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next caller, Patrick in New Jersey. Hi, Patrick. Welcome to the program. Hi. How you doing? Um, basically, I, uh, I just lost my mother recently. And I lost my father when I was 16, and my sister gets killed when I'm, um, like, a few years ago. So basically, like, what I'm asking is, there's people out there that do crazy stuff. Like, there's people out there that rape, steal, murder, kill, like, do, like, off-the-wall stuff. And uh, 
like don't nearly get stuff done to, done to them in the course of that nature. So I'm confused on what could I possibly done so bad in life to deserve to lose the course of my whole family within nine years. Yeah. Well, Patrick, first of all, let me just say I'm sorry for your loss. And that's terrible. And I, I want to tell you this, uh, that I want you to know that God also weeps with you over your loss. Um, and I think that's really important for you to know that because it sounds to me like um, you're operating under the assumption that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people and that what happened to you must have been some sort of God paying you back or, you know, karma, like we might say, right? Like you must have done something to deserve this. And I just want to tell you right now that that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that um, the things that happen to us are payment, either for good actions or for bad actions. And it's really important that you know that, that the things that have happened to you are not um, God punishing you. And now, on the other hand, um, I just want you to know that God, you know, has allowed that. And there, there's a couple factors that you need to keep in mind. Number one is that we live in a world that is under the dark cloud of a curse. Our world is cursed, right? And if your family members hadn't died uh, in the ways that they did, eventually we all die. We are all going to die. And we're all going to die in a, in a tragic way. You know, we're going to die from illnesses. We're going to die from accidents. It's really just a matter of time that all of us will die. And that is because we live under in a world that is under the curse of sin and death. And so when people die, um, you need to understand that it's not just um, God, you know, punishing people by letting their loved ones die. This is part of the fallen world that we live in. And the other thing I want you to know is again that God weeps with you. We know that God looks at the the uh, injustice in the world, the things that aren't fair, right? Like our loved ones dying. Um, he looks at these things and it causes him to grieve in his heart. And and not only does he grieve, but his grief led to action. So what we see in the Bible, it says that God looked at all the sin in the world. Right? This is like Genesis chapter 6. God looks at all the sin in the world, and it said it grieved him to his heart. He was so sad. In fact, the word that's used there, grief, is only used in one other place in the Bible. It's used in the book of Isaiah, where it talks about the grief that a woman whose husband abandons her feels. In other words, God looked at the sin in the world. He looked at the fact that people he created are dying. People are hurting each other. People are getting sick. And God was so incredibly heartbroken over it. And what God did is that he acted. And the hope of the gospel is not that God will make everything in our lives go smoothly or easily right now. The hope of the gospel is that God is going to make all things right and that there is coming a day for those who's, who have put their trust in Jesus when there will be no more sin, there will be no more death, there will be no more sickness. And the hope that we have in Jesus is that we can actually be reunited with those whom we have lost uh, to this curse of sin and death. Uh, through Jesus, you know, when we put our faith in him, we have not only a relationship with God here and now, but we have the hope of eternal life. And so, Patrick, I would want you to know this, that uh, God loves you, and 
that he weeps with you over the loss. We see it the one time in the Bible when Jesus cried was when he came face to face with the death of one of his friends. And it says that he, well, it's actually not the only time he cried, but it is one of the times where we're told that he wept, like, you know, emotionally. He wept over the death of his friend. And here's what's so weird about that, is that just a few minutes later, like 10 minutes after that, he, he raised this guy from the dead, right? So why would Jesus weep if he knows that he's going to raise this guy from the dead? It's because God is grieved over this curse of sin and death that we suffer under, just as we're grieved by it. And yeah, so... He was feeling it just how, how he was feeling it. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I want you... You know, let me let me read you one passage from Second Corinthians chapter 1. It says, you know, Blessed be the God and Father of Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we can comfort those who are also in affliction with the comfort we have received. So, Patrick, I just want you to know that um, God wants to embrace you. He wants to comfort you in your loss. But there's also a really important story that's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter um, 16, where Jesus tells this story about two people who died. One of them died uh, in faith in, in God, right? And the other one died apart from faith in God. And the one went to a place of comfort and the other one went to a place of torment. And one thing we learned from that story that's really important, and I always say this at every funeral I do, is this, that no matter where these people that we loved, no matter where they end up, that's not something we can do anything about now on this side. But if they were here with us today, if they were able to come back from the grave and speak to us, what would they say? Jesus actually gives us some insight. And what he tells us that they would speak to us, if they could, is that they would want us to know a few things. They want us to know that all this stuff about God and Jesus and heaven and hell, that it's all true. And the other thing they would want us to know is that don't go to, you know, don't go to hell. You know, don't, but put your faith yeah. in Jesus now. And that's really what the guy in the story who goes to hell in the story, he, he asks, he begs, let me go back to my family and tell them. And so what we have here is an example of, here's what people would say if they could speak to you from beyond the grave. They would want you to know, put your trust, embrace the gospel, uh, embrace the salvation that God has provided for you. And um, so I, I follow the right path. Yeah. Well, and, and not just not just be good, Patrick. I want you to understand, it's not just about being good. It's about putting your trust in what Jesus did for you and um, and thereby being saved. Yeah, like I know he doesn't, he doesn't do anything or allow anything to happen that he knows you can't handle, you know, or anything that does happen, it, it would... It's only he don't put nothing on you, uh, put no type of weight on your shoulders that he knows you can't uphold, and allow you to be stronger. Otherwise, I was just it's just I don't know. Sometimes it's hard, and it's just like, well, why would something like this happen if he feels this way about his creation? You know? Yeah, there's a really good answer to that, and um, I think I have a moment I can share it with you. I'll tell you this. Does God ever give us things that we can't handle? I think he does. I mean, losing your family over the course of nine years, that's more than more than a person can handle. But here's the good news, that God will give you the strength 
to do it. He will give you this. He will uphold you as you trust in him, as you walk in him. So I want to point you, Patrick, not to your own strength and say that, hey, you're strong enough for this. I want to point you to the strength of God and say, cast yourself upon him and let him uphold you. Let him comfort you and put your trust in Jesus. But here's here's the last thing I'll say, and that's this. Um, You know, why would God let this happen? It's a really interesting story in uh, Genesis chapter 4, where it says that after the people, I'm sorry, Genesis 3 at the very end, uh, where it says that God, after the people had sinned and this curse of sin and death had come into the world, it says that he, he put an angel to block them from, he put them out of the Garden of Eden and he put an angel to block them from getting back to the tree of life. Why? It says, lest they eat of it and live forever. Now you hear that and the immediate response you have is, well, that's weird. Why wouldn't God want us to eat from the tree and live forever? And there's a really good reason because those people in their fallen condition, which is our condition as well, right? We're in this fallen condition. It's that God says, I don't want these people to live forever in this fallen condition. Rather, I will let them die so that I can redeem them and then resurrect them to eternal life. Now, we know that the only way that's possible, though, is if we have put our faith in Jesus and cast ourselves upon God's mercy and grace. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. God bless you, Patrick. All right. Have a good day. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call is 303-690-690. 3000 that's 303 690 3000 or you can text us at 720-336-0897 that's 720-336-0897 we're coming up on our mid-show break in just a minute here but before we do that we've got becky on line three in fort collins colorado hi becky welcome to the program oh thank you Hi, um, I just have a question. Uh, we recently had a Bible study, and, you know, we studied the um, Exodus. And I just wonder, you know, there are three uh, different three different numbers, 430 years, 400 years, and 215 years from some, you know, serious Bible study. So how long did these strong guys actually live in Egypt? Yeah, well, I don't, be- I don't believe that it's the 215 years. Um yeah, well, some might say, okay, hang on a second. I need to look through some of these texts. So here's here's what we have. Uh, in Genesis 15, verse 13, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in this land that's not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Exodus 12, it says that the people of Israel lived in Egypt for 430 years. And on the very day of the 430th year, the Lord of hosts brought them out. Then in Acts, it says that they were brought out after 400 years in the land. Yeah, so um, a lot of biblical authors say that the 400 number is really, Mm -hmm. or sorry, biblical uh, scholars, they'll say the 400 number is really like a rounding down. In other words, it was a convenient number. Um, Mm -hmm. Another explanation uh, it's a, is that, um, hmm, I'm looking at this as I'm talking to you about it. I've never actually uh, noticed this before, so I, I'm glad you brought it up. So, yeah, I'm curious why this is. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, my only question is, um, you know, seems like, you know, from Levi to Moses, 
there were only four or five generations. And if the five generations will, you know, go across 400 years, that's a long time to have only, you know, four or five generations. Yeah, well, we do know that at that time, people were living longer lives. I mean, that's okay. one part of it. Okay. Um, so that's, that's, that wouldn't be, to me, a, a big reason okay. to say it wasn't 400 years or okay. 430 years. Okay. I think the one thing that we t keep in mind when we're doing this is that we remember that they weren't enslaved for the entirety of the time they were there, right? So when mm -hmm. they first went there, for several generations, they were... Um, you know, living as a free people in Egypt. So I think that's part yep. of the factor in it. Well, okay. you hear the music, that means that we're going to our break. So thank you for your call and God bless yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Okay. okay, you're listening to Calvary Live. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon and welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible. Maybe you've been reading and you have some questions, uh, things not adding up or making sense, and hopefully we could help you answer some of those questions and bring some clarity. Uh, this is also a show where you can call in with your prayer requests. We'd love to hear from you and pray for you. We have a lot of people who are tuning in and listening, a great community of people who would be able to pray together uh, as you share that prayer request over the airwaves, get a lot of people praying for you, being able to lift you up before God. And so we'd love for you to call in and share your prayer requests and your Bible questions. The number to call is 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. So our last call was from Becky. And uh, this was a really interesting call that I had never thought about. And that is that she mentioned that there are three different numbers given in the Bible of how long the Israelites were in Egypt. And they are 430 in one place, 400 in one place, and 215 in another place. And so during our break, I was able to take a few minutes and look for a good solid answer to her question. And I, I believe I found one. So Becky, if you're tuning in, here is the answer. And it looks like this answer is pretty widespread and well-known. Um, I had just never uh, dealt with this question before. So this has been considered kind of the uh, authoritative answer to this question for several hundred years now. I see that um, it's written in books as in the early 1600s and perhaps even before that. And here's what they said. They said this, um, that when it speaks of them being persecuted or being strangers in the land that the number 430 actually adds up to the time of the birth of Ishmael the son of Hagar the Egyptian who mocked and persecuted Isaac so this is coming from uh, Genesis the book of Genesis which is also correlating there with Galatians chapter 4 verse 29 so this is like Genesis 21 verse 9 Galatians chapter 4 verse 29 and if you add up those numbers with the numbers in the Bible, it actually adds right up to 430. Now, what's interesting is that Ishmael was born 
um, some years before Isaac. And so they believe that that kind of gives us those three numbers that we're looking for. So uh, 430, meaning from the time of the birth of Hagar the Egyptian, who we know mocked and persecuted Isaac, according to Galatians 4.29. And then the, uh, the birth of Isaac. So we have 400 years. That might be an estimation as well, kind of a rounding down, you know. And then the other one is being the actual time that they spent in Egypt um, first as free people and then as slaves. So very interesting question. I'm glad you asked. I hadn't looked into that before, and I am glad that I was able to find an answer for you. I hope that you are still listening, Becky, and God bless you. Thanks for that question. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air. We've got two open lines. Give us a call. The number is 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720 720- Three three six zero eight nine seven. By the way, for any of you who are interested, the place where I found that answer to her question was on AnswersInGenesis.com, and uh, they had a great article explaining that issue that Becky was asking about. And so I would just encourage you, for anybody who maybe that answer came fast and you weren't able to totally catch the entirety of it, just go and check that article out. It's really good. AnswersInGenesis.com, and the article is called, How Long Were the Israelites in Egypt? Let's go to our next caller. We've got Mike in Eaton, Colorado. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the program. Mike. Are you there? I am. Oh, hey, Pastor Nick. How are you? Doing great. Hey, I got a question. I didn't know if you could clarify some things. Um, I actually talked to Pastor Ed last week, and he clarified one verse for me. Unfortunately, I was the last caller, so we didn't get to go over much. But um, one of the verses was like John fourteen twelve, where um, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me will do the works that I do also, and will do greater works. And I'm like, yeah. so does that mean like we can heal the sick, raise the dead? And he's like, no. If you put that into context, that whole chapter is talking about like, um, spreading the gospel and stuff, and how we have a greater ability. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But then I got into other verses like John. So there's like, um, or actually, I'm sorry, like Mark um, 16, um, chapters like 17, or verses 17 through 18. Mm-hmm. And it says, these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And then I read also Ephesians 1, verses like 19 through 20. And basically to sum that up to it says, uh, which he performed in Christ when he raised him from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So it says, you know, according to working of the powers. And it's basically saying the same thing, that we have the power to raise the dead. And I have a hard time putting those verses into context myself. So I was, I mean, I guess my question is, because you hear certain pastors talk about how we do have the power of the Holy Spirit. We do have the power to raise the dead. We do have the power to lay hands on the sick and heal them. So I guess I just want clarity, if you can clarify some of them verses for me. Absolutely. So I think there's, I think there's really two issues that, that I want to clarify for you. And hopefully by dividing this into two issues, which I do believe it is divided into two issues, then we can hopefully answer some of your questions. Okay, so okay. I, I don't disagree with what Ed said at all. I think that was, that was right, that, that that is the context of it. I think, though, when it comes to Mark 16, this is an interesting section. Um, this is a section, you know, he says, those who 
you know, believe and go, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel of the whole creation. Whoever believes and baptizes will be saved. These signs will accompany those who believe. Now remember that this is being written at a time. This is the earliest gospel, the gospel of Mark. And, yeah. and this is being written at a time when the Acts of the Apostles is taking place, right? And where the early church, what the stuff we read about in the Acts of the Apostles is taking place. And so this is generally held, these verses are generally not held to be a promise for, you know, if you believe in Jesus, then these things will necessarily accompany you. But these are to be affirmations to say that Jesus predicted that his followers in the first century would be accompanied by these signs. And we see that these actually do correspond with the very things we read about in the book of Acts. I mean, line by line, right? So yeah. casting out demons, we read about that in the book of Acts. Speaking in new tongues, that happened. Picking up serpents with their hands, right? That happened with Paul. Now, we don't mm -hmm. know of any deadly poison, but we assume that this also corresponds to something that was going on in the early church. And that the, the news of this was going out... A, you know, being spread abroad and people were saying, okay, yeah, I see. So Jesus actually predicted that this would happen. And these are signs which show, first of all, that what Jesus said was true. And they were signs that kind of affirmed that what the church was doing was truly a work of God. Now, that's the one question. What, what do these verses speak of? Now, the second question is, how does that correspond to today? And I would put it this way. There's really, you know, two viewpoints on this. And one of them kind of fits on a spectrum. Okay, so the two views are called cessationism and continuationism. So cessationism okay. comes from the word ceasing, right? Cessation. And the other one is continuation. And these refer to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, I would say nobody's a true full cessationist, right? So cessationism kind of falls on a spectrum. With most people who call themselves cessationists, they yeah. believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for today, but they wouldn't say that that applies to all the gifts. They would say that it applies to what are called the sign gifts. Now, the sign gifts are the ones that you are, are bringing up here as the miraculous gifts that are mentioned like in Mark 16 and, um, and the like, right? So these would be specifically three gifts, and those are speaking in tongues, prophecy and healing those are the three big ones where okay. cessationists say those were only for the early church but they're not for today so we still have the gift of administration and the gift of leading and the gift of teaching and the gift of giving and help and faith but we don't have in operation anymore the gift of you know speaking in tongues prophesying and healing and what they would point to uh, as evidence of this is that they would point to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And one verse in particular, well, it's not actually one verse, it's a series of verses that say things like this, you know. Um, it says, Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For now we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, now remember that word because that is the whole crux of the argument. When the perfect yeah. comes, the partial will pass away. Okay, so let's just stop there. Because there, there is more to this argument, but we'll stop there. Um, the point is this. What they say is, what that's referring to, is that we had prophecies and speaking in tongues and healing as sign gifts, 
which were for the purpose of, you know, helping people see that God really was at work through the early church. And they were also, you know, we had prophecy because the canon of Scripture, meaning the, the New Testament, was not yet complete. And so in order for people to know the will of God, we needed to have these prophecies. But now that we have the Bible, which they say the Bible is the perfect, which is mentioned there in 1 Corinthians 13, therefore we no longer need the imperfect, which they would say is prophecy and the sign gifts. Now, I'll just speak real upfront with you. I am not a cessationist. I am a continuationist, and all of you know, Calvary Chapel is a continuationist movement, meaning that we believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today, that nothing has changed. And we would also say that that reading of 1 Corinthians 13 is not a faithful interpretation of what those verses were intended to mean by God the Holy Spirit or by the author. Uh, if you if you read it with all honesty, and here's the thing, a lot of cessationists, like John MacArthur is a really well-known cessationist, I, I've read what he wrote about this, and he actually admits that, that what it says the perfect there, it is not talking about the Bible. And so here's the deal. I believe that these things are for today. Um, I believe that what it's referring to in Mark 16 is specifically referring to the apostolic period and the early, you know, first century stuff as an affirmation that really what Jesus said was true. Jesus predicted this. This is how you know that this is a work of God and not a work of man. But then I go over to 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 to get my, um, let's call it our doctrine of the things of the Spirit, right? Or pneumatology is what we call it. Yeah. And there I see that there are these gifts. They're given to the church. They're given for the upbuilding of the church. That's not the yeah. only place I go, by the way. I also go to the book of Acts, and I see, okay, well, what does 1 Corinthians say that prophecy is? It says in verse 3 that prophecy is speaking to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. I go to places there. You know, it says a person who speaks in tongues speaks to God, not to people. I go over yeah. to Romans 8 where it talks about how the Spirit when we are unable to pray, the Spirit, you know, in our weakness, intercedes on our behalf. Yeah. So I, I personally believe that, um, you know, gifts of healing, I have no reason to believe that these things have passed away. Now, I do think that if these things are real, which, of course, I believe they are real, I, I believe that they will be also verifiable. So, you know, if somebody says, hey, um, you know, I prayed for somebody and I rose them from the dead, you know, I think that that's something that we should also be able to check medically. Like that there should be some kind of medical verification of that. And I think yeah, that sure. having that medical verification <clears throat> is actually going to bring more glory to God than <clears throat> not. So anyway, that's, that's where I stand. I think I can make a pretty, actually, I, I'm quite sure that I can make a very strong case for continuationism um, based on these verses. Yeah. And that's kind of how I, I mean, so would it be safe to say that you believe that maybe some people do have the power of healing? What about the power to raise the dead? Yeah, so this is a gift of uh, healing, which is mentioned in 1 Corinthians. You know, it's different gifts of God's grace, charismatic gifts, which simply means charis means grace. It's their gifts of God's grace that he gives to people. The question really comes down to this. Are there gifts that somebody has all the time? Or are there gifts that somebody only has on special occasions when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and gives them that ability for a particular moment? And I would say the answer to that is yes. Some gifts are kind of a constant thing that you can just tap into. Like at any speaking time in tongues. 
perhaps, or let's say yeah. um, administration, leadership, giving, yeah. faith, you know, um, teaching, right? I, I, I think that teaching is a gift that some people have where they're especially gifted by God to teach. And I don't think that that is just something that comes and goes. However, I do think there are other gifts like, like prophecy. I don't think that people who are pro have the gift of prophecy just constantly can just prophesy whenever they want. Yeah. I, I think that's something where in a moment the Holy Spirit comes upon that person, gives them a word, and maybe it'll be, who knows, maybe years before they get another word from God. Or let's say the gift of the Holy Spirit that's mentioned is called the um, word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. I believe these are given in a moment when they are needed. And I think the same is true of a gift of healing. You know, I mean, I remember yeah. Pastor Chuck Smith, you know, he's kind of the grandfather of Calvary Chapel. Yeah. And so, you know, he would tell stories about this too, where, yeah, there are times he prayed for people and they got healed. There were other times we prayed for people and they didn't get healed. And, um, you know, some, some people's inclination is to say, well, then let's break that down, right? Let's analyze that and let's figure out what caused that to happen, you know, or to not happen, right? Was it how you placed your hands? Was it the words that you said? Maybe that person didn't have enough faith. Maybe you didn't have enough faith. Maybe there was something yeah. else. Somebody else in the room didn't have enough faith. I don't think that that's wise. I, I don't think that we're meant to analyze these things. I think we're to pray in faith and even the faith of a mustard seed, the smallest known seed in Jesus' time, uh, is enough to move mountains. Why? Because it's not we who move the mountains. It's God who moves the mountain. And we're, sure, just, yeah. we're just coming to him and asking him to do it in faith, right? It's just that verse, too, that says, like, when the disciples couldn't heal, they're like, why couldn't we heal him? And he's like, because of your unbelief. So then when you, like, when I pray for people and they don't get healed, I'm like, gosh, is it my unbelief? Yeah. I mean, because the Bible says it's those who believe these gifts will follow. And I'm like man, is it my unbelief? Is that why they're not being healed when I pray for them? And even when I pray for myself, I'm like, why am I not being healed? I mean, is it just a lack of unbelief, or are these gifts really not around anymore? It's just kind of a confusing subject for me. Yeah, well, let's put it this way. Could it be your lack of unbelief? Yeah, maybe. But you know what? That's not the only factor. And so I think that when people make it out to be the only factor, that they're, that's unwise and not biblical. I'll give you, yeah. just real briefly, one of my favorite stories on this subject is found in the book of Acts chapter 12. I love this story because it's such a great balancing story for this whole topic. And here's why. Here, check this out. So Peter goes to jail and the whole, you know, the church in this town, they gather together. They're, in, um, they're, they're praying, you know, God, let Peter get out of jail. God, let Peter get out of jail. Somehow set him free. They had seen other people set free miraculously. Now they're praying for Peter to be set free miraculously. And it says that an angel goes and lets Peter out. And then he walks back to the house where he knew that the Christians gathered. And he knocks on the door. And there, uh, this servant girl, Rhoda, goes and opens the door. And she's like, um, she sees that it's Peter and she opens the door and then slams the door in his face and runs back to the people, which is, by the way, hilarious, right? So she runs back to the people who are praying, God, let Peter out of jail. And she says, guys, guess what? God let Peter out of jail and he's at the door right now. And they say, no, that's probably just an angel or a ghost or something, right? Like, like they don't believe it. <laughs> and what does that tell us? Does that tell us that they're praying in faith? Well, it tells us yeah. that they have enough faith to pray. <laughs> Yeah, It takes faith to ask, doesn't it? So they yeah. have enough faith to pray, but they don't really believe that God's going to answer their prayer. And yet God does, because at the end of the day, it's about him, not about us. And I think that's the big folly we fall into is when we make it too much about us. 
Yeah, I agree. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. That this helps a lot. So good. God bless you. Yeah, and I know you held for a long time. So thanks for holding, and I'm glad we got to talk. No, no worries, man. God bless you too. Have a great afternoon. Okay. Bye-bye. Right. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Taking your calls and texts on the air today, the number to call, 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That text line again, 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next caller, James in New Jersey. Hi, James. Welcome to the program. James. Well, we might have lost James. So um, let me see. James, I have his question written down here. So let's, let's see if we can answer it for him. And if he is tuning in or he's uh, listening somewhere, he'll hear it. So James asks this. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it mentions God creating male and female. And then Genesis 2 mentions more details about Eve. Was there a them before Eve? In other words... Um, it looks like James might be confused uh, that God can go back when giving narratives instead of keeping it chronological. Yeah, so um, yeah, I do have some thoughts on that, James. Here's the deal. Uh, one of the things that we miss when we read Genesis chapter 1 in English is that it wasn't written in English. Of course, it was written in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, this, this uh, first chapter is called the Song of Creation. And it is written in a poetic way as opposed to a prosaic way. So, right, prosaic way is like when you read a newspaper article and it tells you the news. Here's what happened. Now, a lot of the Bible is written prosaically, meaning it's written like the news, right? It's like, okay, here's what happened. And it just writes it down for us. And then there are other parts of the Bible that are written in, um, in a poetic way. And they're meant to be beautiful. Now, that doesn't mean that the poetic writing is not ever meant to be taken literally, right? So some people would say, well, if Genesis chapter one is poetic, well, then does that mean that it's not to be taken literally? Well, not necessarily. That's not how the, this works. Um, but the point is that we want to understand genre when we read the Bible. And that doesn't always come across to us when we're reading a translation of something that was originally written in a different language. Okay, so that just comes down to this. Genesis chapter one is this beautiful song It's of creation. It's showing us the creation of God, not just that he did it. That's not the only point. It's that he did it beautifully. He did it in love. He did it as an artist. He did it as, as if he was singing over us. And we, we actually see examples over, of that uh, throughout the Bible. It says in Job, you know, it says, um, speaking of the creation, it says the angels watched the creation and they shouted with joy when God created the world. And you just get this amazing picture, right, of God, you know, in love, beautifully speaking the world into existence. And then the angels are watching this whole thing go on, right? Like you can imagine they're just watching and they're like, wow. And they shout for joy as it happens. And the whole point is that this whole thing, as God created the world, a lot of other ancient Near Eastern um, origin stories, meaning creation accounts, they they generally portrayed the creation of the world as being the result of chaos, right? The, there was a fight between two gods, and the result of it was the world. Or, you know, in Greek mythology, the Greek gods created the world, or were they, the world was already created, but they kind of created humanity because 
um, they kind of wanted, they didn't want to have to be responsible to take care of the earth. So they created human beings to basically be their slaves. And in contrast to that, we have this beautiful picture of creation where God creates human beings in love. They're the pinnacle of his creation. He's singing. The angels are shouting. It's, it's this beautiful thing. So that's Genesis 1. It's meant to be understood as beautiful and as a poetic thing. And then what we have in Genesis 2, you could say Genesis chapter 1 is kind of the zoom, uh, zoomed out view, right? It's the big picture. God created the world. He created human beings. And then what he does in Genesis 2 is he changes styles away from poetry to prose and he zooms in. Okay, now this is how God created humanity. This is what it was like. This is why and how he did it. So I, I hope that answers your question. Basically, yeah, um, God is going back in time and now giving us more detail in chapter 2 about how exactly he created humanity as the pinnacle of his creation. So I hope that answers your question, James. Thanks for calling in. God bless you. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I think we've got time for one more call. Let's go to Pam in the eastern plains of Colorado. Hi, Pam. Hi. So um, I need prayer for um, being sick. It's um, unimaginable, and I just can't, I can't take it anymore. Mm. Um, and my marriage is really bad it's hanging by a thread and he just gave up on me and there he there's he doesn't support me um i mean not emotionally but he'll you know dry give me a ride or get me food from the store but um it's just incredibly lonely and painful i'm sorry pam thank you do you have a church family? No, I, I mean, sort of. It's just a small, very, very small house house church. There's like four people in it. Um, okay. But um, I'm sorry, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure. You were telling me about the things you're going through. Um, oh, yeah. It's really hard for me to leave the house, too. Um, I went to church on Sunday for the first time in a really long time. That was mm. amazing that I could do that. So, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad yeah. you were encouraged. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me pray for you, Pam. And, you know, it sounds like you're really in need of some, some great Christian support, some brothers and sisters to come around you. And yeah. um, I hope that your church would step up and see that need and help with that. Yeah. Well, they're just so limited because um, there's the pastor and his wife, and she just had a heart attack. And then there's right. my friend, and she, my friend goes there, and she um, helps me with rides and stuff, but she works full-time. And then there's only, like, two other people in the church. So, okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for Pam, and Lord, I know that uh, as she's grieving, Lord, like we talked about earlier, Lord, we know that you weep with her, and we're so thankful to know that, Lord, that you are the God who hears, you are the God who sees, you are the God who is with us, and we, we hold on to that promise that we know the day is coming when every tear will be wiped away, and things that are not the way they should be will be set right, and uh, there will be no more grieving for forever. And we look forward to that, Lord. I pray that, Lord, 
Pam would not only be comforted by the knowledge of what is to come, but she would be comforted with your presence here and now. Lord, as your word says, that you are the God of all comfort. Lord, I also pray that you'd surround her with people in her life who are able to support her. Lord, I pray for her marriage, Lord, that you would redeem it, um, Lord, that you would save it and that you would rescue it and that you would turn it into something beautiful and good for your glory and for the benefit of Pam and her husband. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you, Pam. Yeah. Thank you for calling in. And I, I just want to encourage our listeners, be praying for Pam, and uh, she needs the, the support. Thank you. You bet. Bye. Bye-bye. You are listening to Calvary Live. We have come up to the end of our show. We've got less than two minutes left in our show. And um, let's go one quick prayer request. Um, this person is asking about... Well, actually, this one. This one says, I know to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. It says that the dead in Christ will rise first. How does that work? Well, I don't actually think I have enough time to answer this one. Um, I've written an article about this on my website that I'd love for you guys to check out if you have time. It's nickkady.com. But for now, I think it's time to sign off, and um, I'll let you know about this. Here's the deal. Basically, here's what it comes to. We will be with Christ in spirit until the resurrection of the dead, at which time we will get physical bodies. I believe that's what the, that's talking about. So that's nickkady.org. Sorry, not .com. And um, let's go ahead and just sign off now. Thank you for listening to Calvary Live today. You can tune in every weekday, 4 to 5 p.m. Mountain Time. And this is a show, again, where you can ask your questions about the Bible and have your prayer requests prayed for. You can check out our church online, whitefieldschurch.com. God bless you, and have a great evening. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.